Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. As 2021 winds down, investors are already looking to where the opportunities will be next year. One of the biggest trends we're seeing is the impact of climate change on business, from the development and commercialization of new technologies to attempts by some of our biggest and sometimes dirtiest companies to adapt to a greener future. Fiona Manning is the Portfolio Manager at Apostle Funds Management with more than two decades of experience across climate change research, equity analysis and responsible investing. Fiona, welcome to Fear and Greed. Thank you very much. So let's start with COP26. There was an enormous build-up to COP26 and I certainly media-wise, the environment got many more of the headlines than it had. What's happened since then? Is that momentum continuing and will it continue into 2022? Oh, hopefully. Uh, Yeah, I've certainly got a bit of COP26 fatigue myself, I have to say. (laughs) Now, look, a lot of companies were already moving prior to COP26. It was um, the first major check-in since the Paris Agreement was reached five years ago, which, you know, set the goal of limiting global temperature increase to two degrees and preferably to no more than one and a half. And the Paris Agreement, amongst other goals, set a schedule for countries to review their own commitments, so their own emissions reductions goals and strategies every five years. So that's what the focus was on at COP26 this year. Now, sort of globally, companies were following the COP decisions as the outcomes influence the carbon restrictions and regulation that they need to adhere to. Adhere to sorry, uh, in Australia, there's been a lot of uncertainty around carbon policy for many years. So companies were, I guess, looking for some clarity over what climate and carbon policy would look like going forward. You know, knowing whether there'll be a cost to pollute or not, whether that cost will be large or small, they directly influence business decisions, particularly in regard to long-term capital expenditure. Okay. So, I mean, COP26 creates the regulatory environment in a sense is what you're saying. Is that regulatory environment in Australia stable enough, well-known enough, legislated enough for businesses to be making decisions? In some segments, uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. We're definitely not there in terms of ambition. I think Australia is regularly pinged for being a bit of a laggard amongst developing countries in terms of our uh, emissions reductions targets, which I guess is why it's important for companies to make their own declarations, regardless of whether companies accept what climate science suggests, you know, a 50% cut in reductions by 2030 and net zero by 2050, being transparent and clear about their own climate-related goals is important for accountability. So I I guess accountability in terms of various stakeholders such as shareholders, regulators, employees and customers, all of those parties have an interest in knowing how companies are handling the transition to a low-carbon economy, even in isolation of there being rigorous policy from government. Okay, so let's talk about some of these Australian companies. How do you think as an economy, Australian companies are performing in terms of that shift to net zero. I'd imagine we're well behind many European companies, but probably not as bad as some of the North American companies. Yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. That seems to be the pecking order. You know, Europe tends to lead the charge, followed maybe by uh, big organisations like the UN, then Australia and the US. In terms of, I guess, transitioning, I mean, the companies that are doing well are those that have seen the business case for transitioning. Yeah. You know, that's a very motivating force for a profit-driven entity. I guess as an example, the growth of green buildings is where being green very clearly makes business sense. You know, simple things like shifting to LED lighting, more efficient HVAC systems, 
improving water and waste management practices massively reduces the cost of operating property. So companies that are transitioning well have tended to take, I guess, a long-term view of big macro themes like, you know, it's a growing global population on a planet with finite resources and, you know, the inevitable policy response to climate change. They haven't sort of waited for policy announcements from government. They're seeing the writing on the wall and getting first mover advantage. Okay, so what about if we shift to the dirty industries and BHP is an example where it is selling out of oil and gas, or at least it's merging its oil and gas business, which to me sounds like it's selling out, uh, and then focusing on potash, which is a whole new commodity, which is an agricultural commodity. How do you sort of think about those sorts of organisations? And I mean, BHP is the example, but there's many oil and gas companies and many coal companies. How do you think about them when they're trying to transition? Oh, look, moves by companies to make themselves greener, you know, to either manage risk or harness the opportunities should definitely be welcomed and supported by investors. You know, whether you accept the, frankly, very well-established science of climate change or not, it doesn't matter yep. because policymakers around the world have accepted it and they're putting a price on carbon. So if companies want to make it to the end of this century, they're going to have to change. We might have a case of two steps forwards, one step back. Decarbonising could definitely happen a lot more quickly than it currently is. I mean, look at how amazing we were at mobilising resources and people around the COVID pandemic. But slow progress is better than no progress. I guess in relation to BHP and other company moves, I think we're going to see increased corporate activity where there is the hiving off of contentious business areas into separate entities. Is that that okay? I mean, AGL is another one, but it's kind of shifting the problem rather than solving it. Yeah. I mean, yes, the hiving off makes it easier for investors to retain a clean portfolio. But yes, in terms of solving global problems, it is kind of just shuffling the cards that are already in the deck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Stay with me, Fiona. We'll be back in a minute. I'm speaking to Fiona Manning, Portfolio Manager at Apostle Funds Management. What about this whole concept of greenwashing, which we're hearing more about in ASIC, the corporate regulator has been talking about it. It's fine for a company to come out and say, this is what we're going to do, but it actually matters a lot more that they're doing it rather than saying it. Mm, Definitely. Greenwashing is a big risk. And I think policing of greenwashing would definitely be welcomed by many. The problem is we don't seem yet to have a common language or taxonomy around things like green, eco, environmentally friendly, ethical, and so on. Uh, Similarly, there's a lot of natural imagery and the use of the colour green in advertising and product packaging that implies greenness or goodness without even saying anything at all. Now, it's pretty hard to police the use of the colour green or images of lush forests in a company's marketing strategy. So I think at least part of the onus is on us as consumers to be a little more critical of the claims that companies make about their products and services. And that extends beyond you know, the green and the good to pretty much everything like miracle face creams and stuff. Yeah. Going, I guess, to the investment world, there's a lot of confusion amongst investors about how good, green or otherwise their investments are. But happily, it looks like help is on its way via regulation. Regulators around the world are directing their efforts towards uncovering greenwashing and creating frameworks that prevent its occurrence. Mm -hmm. As noted with consumer goods, the key issues are lack of clarity around the labelling of products and a single lack of a single taxonomy. Uh, One set of rules addressing this is the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which categorises products in Europe according to their level of, you know, green, ethical or impact considerations. You know, for example, they define 
Article 8 products as those that promote environmental or social characteristics. You know, Article 9 products have sustainable investment as their objective and are required to explain how their products meet those objectives. So it's a developing framework and the European Commission has indicated it'll hopefully be consolidated early uh, next year. And as always, that'll lead the charge and hopefully we follow not too shortly after. How important are the financiers in this? So in over the last week, both ANZ and Westpac have been criticised by shareholders at AGMs around the fact that they're financing fossil fuel projects. Now, their argument is particularly around gas. It's a transition energy and, you know, we can't just turn off the lights. I mean, we literally can't just turn off the lights. But just that the funding of this, at some point, if the banks and lenders pull away, then the companies won't have much choice. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the banks and financiers provide sort of, you know, the life source for long-term capital expenditure. So the parameters that they're setting around it in their own book are definitely going to determine the shape of the economy going forward. Yeah, recent announcements about sort of caps on fossil fuel lending, you know, lack of targets around sort of lending to renewable energy businesses is definitely disappointing. And we're seeing, I guess, some more shareholder activism around that. There's a couple of organisations which are specifically focused on ultimately financing of carbon emissions. So I think we'll see some more consumer pressure around that as well. Okay, so can we talk about impact investing? And we're talking about the environment primarily here, but there's lots more to impact investing than the environment. Yes, definitely. Impact investing sort of extends well beyond sort of climate and environmental issues. Impact investing is really just about making a positive impact in terms of, you know, people or planet alongside a financial return. So there's, yes, the climate and environmental issues, but also, you know, impact investing in terms of health and well-being, inclusivity, equality and diversity kind of a whole host of problems that people are hoping to solve by um, directing their capital towards those areas. Do you think, I mean, we've seen such a push in capital towards green areas, but some of those broader impact areas are likely to attract more capital in the coming years? Definitely seems to be uh, pointing that way. Uh, If you look at the sort of the benchmarking reports of RIA, or PRI and the surveys that they do of consumers and investors about how they wish their portfolios to be invested, there's definitely a move towards you know, investments more aligned with their values. And it's no longer just kind of about avoiding industries or activities that they don't agree with, but definitely towards supporting those industries and practices that they do agree with. So there's kind of a move from avoidance of problems to embracing of solutions. Okay. So as an investor, that makes it an exciting time to look around the market because there must be opportunities and arbitrage that you can take advantage of because there is change happening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, interest um, from an investor's perspective still seems to be largely focused on climate and environment in terms of that. And the biggest opportunities seem to be in areas that you know, reduce the major sources of carbon emissions or greenhouse gases. So, you know, historically and still today, the focus and opportunities have been in our energy systems, you know, moving away from fossil fuel-based energy sources to cleaner renewable sources, you know, the growing pushback globally on thermal coal power generation towards solar and wind 
cannot be understated. The transport sector also makes up a large proportion of global greenhouse gas emissions. And accordingly, we're seeing major growth in electric vehicle manufacturers and companies that produce components for them. Uh, Similarly, construction sector is a major contributor to global emissions. And um, just this year, we saw a Swedish company ship its first batch of green steel, which is steel that is made using hydrogen rather than coal in its production processes. Yeah. I mean, mean, steel and cement seem to be the two big ones, which everyone says if we can somehow get green steel and green cement, a lot of the problems of the world will be solved. I'm overstating it. I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, it would definitely be a good start to solving the problems. I agree. (laughs) Fiona, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Thank you. That was Fiona Manning, Portfolio Manager at Postal Funds Management. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join me every morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all the business news you need to know. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.